said earlier, this Sunday is for us and for the church All Saints Day. It is an opportunity for us to remember those in the faith who have gone before us. And um, these larger candles that we have in the back, if you have just joined us, these larger candles represent for us those in our own church family, those in our own church body who have uh, gone to be with the Lord, who have run their race and who have heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, and what, what, an, what a privilege um, to, to be able to say, and many of the, the names that, um, that were read, uh, that I read this morning, I think about, um, and, and many of those I've had the privilege, many of those folks I've had the privilege of knowing and, and, and can say that they were an encouragement uh, to me. In my own uh, journey in ministry, in my own life, they were an encouragement to my, uh, to my family, and, and all of them uh, represent uh, faithfulness, and not only to us as a church, um, but, but to many of you individually, but then also the rest of these candles, candles that were, um, that were lit to represent people in your own life uh, who, who are a picture of, of Jesus and a picture of faithfulness in some uh, way. And, and so this, this is something that... Uh, the church was not very old when, when we began uh, celebrating and commemorating All Saints Day. And it was an opportunity for the church initially to remember the martyrs, those who gave their lives because of the faith, those who lives, whose lives were taken from them as a result of the faith. Uh, we think of Stephen. He's the first martyr that we see recorded uh, in Acts. And, and the, the boldness uh, with which he lived and the boldness with which he spoke of the things of God enraged um, those before whom he was on trial to the point that their, their only recourse, the thing that they felt was most appropriate was to stone him to death. And even as he is being stoned, he says these words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And those words are a callback to the words that Jesus uttered on the cross as he was being crucified. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they were doing, that even um, in his last moments, Jesus was praying um, on behalf of those who, who, were, who were persecuting him, um, lifting them up, saying, God, it's, um, show love to them, show them grace, forgive them, the faithfulness of Jesus, the faithfulness of Stephen, the faithfulness of, of martyrs, those who have given uh, their lives for the faith and, and who, um, who are an example for us of, uh, of faithfulness. What a, what a gift and what a privilege we have uh, to remember uh, those, who have, those who have gone uh, before us. And, and, and what an opportunity for us to examine our own lives and to ask um, the, the question, what is it that we are, are living for? Um, what is it that we uh, are, are chasing? What is it that we are pursuing in, in this world? And, and um, after we have run our race, will people be able to look at our lives or can people look at our lives now and say, um, and give thanks for the example of faithfulness and the example of what it looks like to follow um, Jesus. And, and that's what we're going we're gonna to deal with this, this morning. We'll have the opportunity to um, consider uh, some in the faith who have gone before us and then this challenge that we are given uh, by the author of Hebrews to run the race uh, marked out for us, to run uh, the race that is, that is before us. So uh, if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word, please Stand uh, with me if you are able. If not, then in the posture of your heart, uh, please stand. And these words, uh, normally they would be on the screen, and we do, uh, gosh, we hope that um, within, within the next week, week and a half, we will have a, a projector again, and so you will see these words projected on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible, they are printed for you in the front of your, uh, your worship bulletin. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 
beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I'm going to read verse 3. It's not, I don't believe, included in your bulletin. But verse 3 reads, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this morning, we, in addition to celebrating um, and, and commemorating All Saints Day in the life of the church, this is also the beginning of, of kind of a, a short three-part series prior to the beginning of Advent, uh, which is November 27th. That means, uh, as many of you know, that Christmas is right around the corner. So don't want that to be a shock to anybody. Um, I want you to know that that's coming, and that's not the reason that we stuck the Christmas tree up in the back. I, uh, I'm all about um, respecting the, the bird. Uh, I, you will never see me overlook Thanksgiving, although I have, con- full, full disclosure, I've been, I've, been tempted, I've been tempted to go out and put Christmas lights on the outside of the house uh, because the Clark W. Griswold in me is just itching uh, for that moment. Also, because my wife called me the other day when she was on her walk, and she was like, babe, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but our neighbor uh, up the road has already put his lights on. And, and here's what I found out, like, because this guy is like the envy of Dogwood Knoll. He hires a company to do that. So, like, he's out. That, that is, like, that's cheating, um, Whatever, like we can admire his house, but, uh, but I, I will never overlook Thanksgiving. But if, if you missed our announcement at the beginning, then the, the tree in the back represents, uh, for us, our angel tree. Um, and each of the tags there, each of the cards represents a, a child who lives in our area who is a part of um, either Hardin Park or the high school. And, and it's an opportunity for us as a church um, to show love in a tangible way, to go and, and purchase gifts for, um, for these kids and, and to bring them. And those will be passed along to the parents of those children so that the parents can wrap those and, and those kids will be blessed uh, with gifts on Christmas morning. So just want to make sure because I know that we made that announcement very early in the service, and a lot of you weren't here when we started, so um, just want to lift that up to you again. But between now and, uh, and Advent, we're, it's, it's Thanksgiving month, right? So we want to consider what, is it, what does it mean, what does it look like to live a life of Thanksgiving, to live a life of gratitude? And I just want to lift a, a couple of scriptures uh, to you before we, we jump into our passage um, for this morning. Uh, scripture is, is, is full of the encouragement to celebrate and the encouragement to, to the charge to, to, to give thanks, to be grateful, to show gratitude. Uh, and and, and that there's something that's really powerful about that. Uh, Psalm 107, we are uh, invited into the, the heart of the, the psalmist. Psalm 107. <clears throat> uh, it's still where it's always been in my Bible right there. Uh, Psalm 107. Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Then in Philippians chapter 4, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A prayer and petition, present your request to God. And I think many of us are really good at that, presenting our, our request to God. This laundry list of things that we want to see God do in our lives. But I wonder how many of us, with thanksgiving, present those requests to God. Follow Paul's instruction and example that he gave to the church in Philippi. In addition to coming to God with our request and the things that we want to see happen, to also remember how much it is that we have to be grateful for and to name those things. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the promise is this, and I love this. Not that God will immediately answer the prayers that you are praying and meet the requests that you are offering to him. Uh, Not that God will change the circumstances in which you are praying. They might continue to be incredibly difficult. But the promise is this. By presenting our, our request to God with thanksgiving, prayer and petition, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's, there's something to this idea of going to the Lord, yes, with our request. Jesus is very clear in that instruction uh, to, to be bold in the things that we ask God for. But then, then Paul has learned something about what it means to, to, to live faithfully, to do this well, to continue to be obedient, is that as we present those requests to God, to also be a people whose hearts have gratitude, to be able to look and say, God, where are the ways in my life uh, that, that you have been good, that you have been at work. How, how, what, what is it that I have to be thankful for? And to name those things and to trust that when we do that, God's peace will guard our hearts. Our circumstances may not change immediately. Our circumstances may not change ever this side of eternity, yet the promise that we have is that God's peace will guard our hearts against an enemy who would seek to convince us that God is not good, that God's love does not exist for us, that God is withholding something from us because we have done something wrong. Uh, Any number of, of things that the enemy loves to come at us with and convince us things that are not true about ourselves, but also things that are not true about God. So this invitation that we have, this promise that we have that God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This morning, we have an opportunity uh, to consider what it means to be thankful for those who have gone before us. And, and why is it that the, that the church thousands of years ago uh, decided to celebrate what we now call All Saints Day? Why is it that we remember those who have been faithful? Why is it we, that we remember, yes, for them the martyrs and, and for us the martyrs? Why is it that, that Stephen's death, his willingness to give his life for the sake of the gospel, why is that important to us? Why is it that, that Peter, who was a roller coaster of emotion, um, was, was eventually the one who was tasked with, with preaching the first message following Pentecost, only to see thousands of people come to faith in Jesus, and that when Peter had run his race, he said, if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down, because I do not consider myself worthy to die in the same manner that my Jesus died. Why, what, what, is, what is it about Peter's life, about Paul's life, about Stephen's life that would cause us to give thanks because they believed that the gospel was not only worth living for, but that the gospel was worth dying for? What is it in your life that you are living for and what are you willing to die for? Because I think so many of us are short-sighted. Short-sighted in the things that we chase and the things that we pursue. And it seems odd for us to gather together and to remember, right, those who have died. 
Death is not something that we love to talk about. Death is not something that we love to think about. I was listening to an interview um, this week, and the man being interviewed suggested that, uh, and, or he just kind of offered this. He said, you know what I miss? I miss, um, you know, with churches that are being planted around the world with, with um, communities of, that, of faith that are springing up. He said, one of the things that I miss is, is seeing um, graveyards connected to the church, like being a part of church property. He said, I'm thankful that churches continue to be planted. I'm thankful that the gospel is continuing to go out. But, but, but for, for many of these old, older you know, country churches that are having to close their doors, the thing that is, that is difficult and that, that I long to see, the thing that I'm missing is to see the cemeteries or the graveyards that are connected and that are a part of um, that church. Because each person there represents a life of faithfulness. And each person there represents uh, a life that was a part of and that was responsible for, for that church and was responsible for stewarding the, the work of that church and for being an encouragement um, to the people who served in that church and for being a vessel and a witness to the goodness of God and the life of Jesus in that church. And, and when we don't see that, we, we tend to forget the faithfulness of those who have gone before us. And, uh, and the author of Hebrews here is, is calling um, for those to whom he was writing, was calling for the faithful to remember those who have gone before them in the faith. And there, there's, there's uh, reason for that. And if we were to dig into the context a little bit, so look at the beginning of, of chapter 12. Therefore, uh, and anytime you see a therefore written in, in, in Scripture, whether it's in one of Paul's letters or whether it's in a letter like this um, to, to the Hebrew uh, church, that is those who were, who were brought up and raised in the Hebrew faith, who were Jewish by birth, who came to faith in Jesus... So, so these are people who, who are not Gentile converts to Christianity. These were people who were Jewish people, and yet, yet because of the faithfulness of, of the apostles, because of the faithfulness of those whose lives were changed by the work of Jesus, who were Jewish people who continued to share the message to their brothers and sisters who were Jewish, we had Jewish people coming to, to faith in Christ, and, and some consider those to be perfected in their faith. Like That, that, is, that is the complete believer. Because they have this, this Jewish heritage, they understand and deeply appreciate the, like the story of God's people through the generations, beginning with the promise to Abraham and, 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 and the Exodus and King David, and they kind of trace who they are and who they understand themselves to be back to the faithfulness of those people. But then, then you also have those who have, who have said yes to Jesus as Messiah, as the Savior of the world. So those, those would be people that are included here. But, but anytime you see a therefore written in Scripture, you have to ask the question, are there, what is the therefore, therefore? Like, what, why is that there? So we, we go back and look at what was written ahead of that or what was written above that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, a, a couple things happening here. Right? All of you have witnesses to your life. Every one of you who lives life Outside of a cave or outside of a hole in the ground, you have people that are watching your life. Some of you, some of us, I'll include myself in that, put our lives on display through social media. And so you have people who are witnessing the way that your life is playing out or at the very least witnessing the things that you want them to see about your life. 
So in one sense, that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. And, and, and what he has in mind here, this was likely written to a group of believers who, who lived in a place where there would have been a coliseum, where the, where the games took place, where races and, and feats of strength, we, would, you know, we, we could trace like the Olympics back to these things, where, where these competitions took place. Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people watching you live your faith, because of that, run with perseverance the race marked out for you. All right, so not only is this, this idea that you have people watching the way that you live your life, watching the way that your faith is playing out, if you profess or claim to be a follower of Jesus, would the people watching your life and the way that you live that out, would they say, okay, I have a pretty good understanding of what it means and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, or I have, I have a, a, a good picture of who Jesus is based on the way that this person is living their life? Or if your life as a Christ follower is on trial, like would you be found guilty of being a Christian, or would they say, oh, really? I didn't know that person was a Jesus follower. I had no idea they were a Christian because of these things that I've witnessed in their lives. So this idea that we, our lives and to some degree are on display for the world around us and that that's not a bad thing. That's who we're called to be. We just finished up an 11-week series on the Great Commission and, and considered last week this, your commission to go and make disciples. Inherent in that is putting your life as a Jesus follower on display for the world around you. So the cloud of witnesses, yes, is, is the people watching you, but more specifically in this case, the author of Hebrews, you would have to go back and read um, Hebrews 11 in its entirety to really appreciate this, this cloud of witnesses, the saints who have gone before, those who are responsible ultimately for God's uh, the, the, the fulfillment of God's faithful promise to Abraham back in Genesis where he tells Abraham to leave his home, to leave his family, to take his wife Sarah and to go to a foreign land. And, and that God is going to bless him and give him a son. Now Sarah and, and Abraham were advanced in years. They were beyond childbearing years. And yet God's promise was that not only would, uh, would God give Abraham and Sarah a son, but that Abraham would become the father of a nation and that through Abraham, God would bless the entire world. Well, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, you see the genealogy of Jesus traced all the way back to that promise that God gave to Abraham. So a cloud of witnesses, Abraham was a, was a part of, of, of that uh, promise. <clears throat> Abraham walked by faith. He looked at his own life and said, you know, based on my age, based on the age of my wife, it would be impossible for this to happen. I mean, you would have to believe that they had tried to be parents up to this point and had resigned themselves to the fact that it's not happening. We, have, we've, we, we are beyond those years, and yet God comes and makes this outrageous promise, and by faith, Abraham responded. Just a, a couple of excerpts from Hebrews 11. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. That's verse 1. Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Abraham, verse 8, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. Not because she considered her husband Abraham faithful. I mean, because there at some point was probably a conversation that went something like, I'm sorry, he told you what? We have to go where? I don't know where we have to go. He just said we have to go. And leave our family? Yep. And he told you that he's going to give us a what? It wasn't that Sarah considered Abraham faithful. It was she considered the one who made the promise faithful. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And ultimately, one of the descendants of faithful Abraham and faithful Sarah was Jesus, through whom God would bless the entire world. Who are the people in your life who have walked so faithfully, whom you can trace the blessing in your own life or the knowledge of Jesus in your own life back to this person? I'm so fortunate to have a number of people in my own life. I always think, though, of my, my, my grandmother, my mom's mother. I've, I've shared some of her story. I, I, sometimes when, um, when we're talking about uh, on All Saints Days before, I've brought her Bible uh, down here that I have upstairs in my office that has her highlighting and her notes and her lists of people that she's prayed for and, the, and, and a copy of the letter that, that she wrote that's from her journal, her committing her life and the lives of her children to the Lord. And, and, I, and I think because of the faithfulness of that woman, I, in part, she, she influenced my life. And in part, I, I am where I am because of her faithfulness. Because she was willing to live with such abandon this life that Jesus was calling her to. Because of the way that she loved her children. Because of the way that she loved her grandchildren. Because of the way that she, she retired from, from physical therapy. Only to go back into physical therapy. Because she felt like that is the place that she could best serve and love and help people. And, and just the way that she was so giving, the way that she was so loving, the way that she was such a reflection of, of who Jesus is and the way that that impacted my own life. Who, who are the people in your life for whom you would give thanks? Who were in some way a reflection of the goodness of God and the person of Jesus? The author of Hebrews, the reason that, that Hebrews is written is because there are people in the faith who have begun to walk away, who have begun to become discouraged, who, who have, have begun to just see this as just kind of the humdrum, the day in and, and day out, and we, it's, it's really difficult, and, and we're having a hard time seeing the point of this, and you have people who are just kind of throwing their hands up and saying, I don't know. I don't know if this is worth it. This, this maybe isn't exactly what I thought it would be. I find myself a little discouraged in that. And so people are walking away, and the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage them and say you know, two things. One, the, the faith in which you were brought up is, is not without purpose. 
the understanding of the high priest and the understanding of, of, of the faithfulness of God and, and the, the story of all those who have gone before you. It's not without purpose. Don't lose heart and don't, don't lose the ability to look back in gratitude on those who have gone, gone before you and the truths in which you have been raised, but know that in Jesus you have a great high priest who understands your weakness and yet lived life without blemish. Therefore, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And as you seek to live faithfully, remember those who have gone before you because they didn't give up. They looked forward to what was ahead for them, even though they couldn't see it in its fullness now. In verse... The end of chapter 11. These... All of these people, Abraham, Noah, Moses, the prophets, King David, Samuel, all of those more recently as as the author of Hebrews is writing, verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Every act of faithfulness, every act of faith on behalf of those that the author of Hebrews is taking the time to to highlight in in chapter 11. They were all looking forward to something that God had promised, looking forward to a better city, looking forward to a better future, and they didn't get to experience it in the way that we have gotten to experience it. And and we too are looking forward to a promise, the, 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 the coming of God's kingdom to be established on this earth forever. Jesus, who sits on the throne being Lord and Savior of all, which he already is, but coming and making a new heaven and a new earth, everything being in the way, as it was meant to be from the beginning. The degree to which we live our lives rooted in that hope and the degree to which we walk faithfully in that hope is the degree to which we allow other people to see that this kingdom that is, has come and is coming is real and it is worth living for and it is worth stepping into. Unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, we too will not get to see the finality on this side of eternity. Yet we have the opportunity to live lives in such a way that the hope which we profess becomes real in the lives of people around us who are seeking to place their hope in things that are empty, in things that are weak, in things under which that hope cannot ultimately stand. One commentary I read this week says this about chapter 11 and stepping into chapter 12. In a rousing section of the sermon, the preacher has been drumming the beat of the pilgrims of old. Marching forward through the Old Testament, the preacher has mustered the faithful, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Moses, and the prophets. The preacher's pace has quickened as the list of the righteous draws closer and closer to the present. But just as this parade of faith has nearly reached the church door, the drumbeat stops and the preacher halts, or more accurately, pauses. He stares at the congregation for half a beat, then sweeps his arm in a slow, backward movement as if to wind his way back down the pathway his words have just traveled, as if to gather in a single gesture the whole assembly of faithful ancestors lined up as far as the eye can see as if to retrace the great circle dancing in and out of time, 
the area he has just traveled of all the men and women of old who trusted in the promises of God. Who trusted in the promises of God. And friends, I think for us, one of the things that hinders us is this short-sightedness with which we tend to live our lives. Because we know that the ultimate promise, as we read sometimes from Revelation 21, author of uh, John, who, who was given the words, uh, this revelation of Jesus, he says, I looked up and saw a new heaven and a new earth. This thing that is coming. We forget that that promise is out there. That there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more tears, no more pain. That the old order of things will have passed away and the things will be as they were intended to be. We forget that that is the hope. That is what's coming. And in glimpses, we have that present now, the reality of this kingdom in which all will be made new. And yet our short-sightedness, short-sightedness keeps us from seeing that. It keeps us from living life rooted in a promise of what is to come and has us only concerned with what is right in front of us. And so it becomes difficult for us to hope. Because so often we place our hope in people and things that, that ultimately will disappoint us. We place our hope in institutions that ultimately will disappoint us. And yet, the promise that we have is that hope in Christ is a hope that is founded on something that this fallen and broken world cannot touch. It is a hope that stands the test of time. And it is a hope that we are invited to give ourselves to day in and day out. And yet, we place our hope in things and people that, that, that continue to let us down and wonder why we live lives so disappointed and wonder why we become so jaded and wonder why we become these people who just tend to, to look at the world uh, you know, through lenses that are, that are clouded, where we have a difficult time finding hope in anything because we continue to place our hope in, in people and things that, that we were never meant to place our hope in and that cannot bear up under the weight of our hope and our expectation. And yet there is one who not only can bear up under the weight of our hope and our expectation, but there is one who is, as the author of Hebrews says, the author and perfecter of that hope, the author and perfecter of that, that faith, the one who has endured, who will endure, the one who will know no end and whose kingdom will, will, will not fade and will not fail. And the thing that's interesting to me about these saints, this cloud of witnesses that the author of Hebrews has, has lifted up here. The thing that's interesting to me about this is that if you were to do some study and examine the lives of these people, how many of them are, are perfect? N none. Zero. None of them. Abraham lied and said that Sarah was his sister because he didn't trust in the faithfulness of God. David, the king, the man after God's heart, we know was uh, committed adultery and, and had... Um, had uh, uh, Bathsheba's husband murdered to try to cover up the sin that he committed. And, and the, the list goes on. Uh, Samson, uh, Moses. No, I mean, like, like these, these people that the, the author of Hebrews has just highlighted as, hey, these are the people that have paved the way for you. None of them were perfect. The call to be faithful is not a call to be perfect. 
There's only one who accomplished that. And yet we are called to walk in faith and trust of the one who was perfect and yet gave his life, suffered the sting of sin and death so that we might have life and so that we might have hope beyond our present circumstances. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is it in your life that needs to be thrown off? What is it that is hindering you from running this race that God has marked out for you? Is it fear? You read that in Christ there is no room for fear. There's no fear in the love that exists from God in the person of Jesus. Is it worry over the future? Friends, we are called to fix our eyes on the one who holds the future. Is it guilt over things that we have done? We are reminded over and over and over again in Scripture that those things do not disqualify us and do not place us outside of the reach of God's grace. That there is nothing that we can do to place us outside of the reach of God's grace, God's love for us. And friends, all those that we lift up as saints, all of the candles that were lit, all of the people in our own lives, even if we didn't light a candle for them, all of the people that we, that we look to, that we, we give thanks for, their faithfulness, not one of them would say, yeah, I lived that life perfectly, nailed it. And yet there is something about faithfulness that, that both acknowledges our shortcoming and acknowledges the brokenness and acknowledges our sin and says, you know what, but I kept walking because of the goodness of Jesus and his faithfulness to forgive me and the fact that he kept calling me to him. Even when I fell short, even when I disappointed, even when I chose my own way. The call to throw off our sin and the things that so easily entangles invites us to examine our lives. And, and maybe rather than just saying, is this sinful? Like, can I listen to this music? Can I watch this movie? How does God feel about this? I don't know. If Jesus were in the room, would I watch this movie? Maybe rather than being so concerned with those things, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask those questions, but maybe examine the things in your life and, and instead ask, is this helping me to run the race faithfully? If it's not helping me to do so, then maybe it's something I can offload. To throw off everything that hinders. To strip down. Release myself of these things that are burden and weights and run faithfully. Knowing that I'm going to trip. Knowing that I'm going to stumble. Knowing that I'm going to fall. And yet it is an act of faith to hear the words of Jesus say to you, Hey, come on. Get up. Let's keep going. Because you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, those who have walked and lived faithfully before you, but also those who are walking and watching you, who want to know that there is something worth hoping in, and who want to know that there is someone worth living for. Amen.